Um, Father, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for your revelation that uh, really can be a lamp unto our feet if we'll allow it to be. I pray, God, that you would teach us, instruct us um, for those um, of us today who just aren't sure how to practically follow you and how to do it in a way that makes sense. Um, God, I pray that you would, just, you would teach us today. I pray that you'd speak through me and in spite of me. Um, that you would teach us to follow uh, Jesus, our master, our Lord, our King. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, so real quick, I don't always start sermons off like this, but I'm going to apologize to you all. Uh, so I just want to say that I'm sorry uh, for last week's sermon, all right? Uh, I want to apologize. Um, there is a, um, I don't know if you guys were here uh, or not, but uh, there is uh, a seminary professor named D.A. Carson, one of the top New Testament scholars alive today, and he teaches, he's taught thousands of people over his tenure uh, at Trinity Divinity School in Illinois, and he says, uh, one of the things he says about how, when he teaches, he says, my students don't learn everything I teach over the course of a semester. He said, my students learn that which I am most excited about. They don't learn everything I teach over the course of a semester, but they learned that which I'm excited about. And if you were new to our church last week, um, I, uh, you would have thought I was definitely more excited about family systems than I am the Bible or Jesus. And that's a reasonable uh, assumption. Uh, and that's not the case. Uh, that's not how, what I want to do. Uh, I got carried away with a point, and I just want to say, I, I stand by the stuff I said, uh, but in terms of emphasis for a sermon in the church, uh, it, I felt like you could have been like, is this an illustration or the point? And it was an illustration. And so whenever that happens, uh, I just want to own that and tell you, like, I am not a perfect preacher. Uh, but I kind of felt like, um, yeah, man, like, I was supposed to serve up, like, a gourmet burger, and then I just, like, covered it so much in ketchup. You're like, man, is this a ketchup? dish with a little burger thrown in and I think a reasonable person could assume that so anyways uh ketchup's the illustration the burger is the word that I should be feeding you all right so uh that being said please forgive me if you have questions on that you want to talk more I am down um again I don't think it was error I think it was emphasis I want to be clear I don't think it was like wrong what I was saying it was just the time and place and emphasis so that being said we are in a series called salt and light and as a church what we have been doing is we've it's a thematic series we've grounded ourselves in Jesus' teaching in um in Matthew Matthew chapter 5, where he talks about the church being salt and light. And essentially he's saying, um, what, what he means by salt and light is he's, he's saying, this is how my people, my church, my followers should impact the culture society around them. In the same way that salt changes the taste of what it touches, um, the same way that it impacts the things it touches, it preserves things, it changes the taste. Uh, and in the same way that light helps you see that which you could not see when it was dark, um, we are to have an impact on society. We ought to be involved in exposing things the way that light does. We, we ought to be a safe place because light meant safety in the ancient world. We should be a people who um, taste different than the world around us. We, we change the culture around us. And so we got into that identity of who we are as salt and light. And over the past few weeks, what we've been doing is moving from who we are to what we're called to do or how we can live out salty light lives that makes sense. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, Maria talked about the idea of evangelism and talking about Jesus. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Jackie talked about hospitality. Um, in a few weeks' time, we'll be talking about justice, and we'll be talking about uh, your work, your career, vocation, uh, talking about uh, partnering with the Holy Spirit, 
Uh, and uh, and then last week I talked about living a life that uh, that causes people to go, man, you stand out in our culture. And that was kind of the family systems point was just the idea um, of being a people who don't carry the anxiety and the fear that people who don't have the hope we have in Jesus carry. And, and so uh, so that was last week. This week what I want to do um, is kind of talk about like how can we make this work long term? Um. I, yesterday, I had the privilege with my wife, Jackie, and our kids, Maria. Um, Jackie's grandfather is a pastor at a historically African-American church here in San Diego. Um, and uh, he's been a, he had a 61st pastoral appreciation gathering. He's been at 60, he's 95, still preaches. Uh, and he's, you know, he's in there. And I mean, the guy's just the best. Um, and we got to honor him and share speeches and stuff. And uh, he really is the best man. He got up, best line I've ever heard in my life. He just said, I can't help it. I feel good. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we got to honor him. And, and you, you started thinking, and then her dad said, actually, dad, you planted a church when I was, when I was born in Texas before you planted the one here in San Diego. So it's actually been 65 years. You've been a pastor. Now, 65 is longer is about double what a lot of you guys are age-wise, like how old you are. He picked up uh, ministry, and he kind of rolled with it and um, went through a lot uh, being a pastor for 61 years. There's a lot you're going to see, uh, mental health challenges. As a, as a black man coming from Texas, racial stuff he had to deal with, and just, just the drama of church and people that are in community over years and sin and suffering, all of that. And, um, and man, I was just really inspired. And a few weeks we're going to talk about parenting as part of Salt and Light. Um, but I really felt like uh, I want to talk about this idea of how do we finish well. And not just finish well, like how do we live the, a Jesus life that doesn't cause us to burn out. But also is a true Jesus life. Because I think there's one of two extremes you can kind of live in. You can kind of live in like the full-on Oprah self-care Sunday vibe. And it's just like, I don't know, and there's even this in the church. It's like, the go- there's a lot of books been written lately, the gospel of like Sabbath. It's like Jesus came to bring the Sabbath. It's like also the Pharisees had the Sabbath. Can't bring more than that. But it's like just rest, just rest, never push yourself. Uh, and then on the flip side, there are people who are like, you know what? Since they're not doing it, I'm going to do it. I'll do the work. I'll do the evangelism. I'll do the hospitality. I'll do the prayer. I'll do the setup. I'll do the whatever it is, the justice work, whatever it is. And, um, and I have to tell you guys, I, I lived over here for a very long time. Uh, I don't know if you, does anyone have something that you're like, I'm good at this? Like, I'm kind of known for this. Anybody? Raise your hand. D- don't be shy. All right. Okay. Humility is not uh, thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. All right. I, I want you to think about it. All right. I'm going to be honest. I'm good at some stuff. All right. And the thing that I was praised for often when I came into ministry is people commented on my ability to get stuff done, a lot of stuff done quickly without seeming to tire. Uh, I've become something, and by the way, we're gonna, this isn't me bragging. You'll see very quickly. There's a dark side of this. Uh, but I've become something of a legend in church planning circles I was connected to. Uh, I once flew to Ireland. Some of you guys are on this trip. And due to jet lag and time difference, I couldn't sleep all night my first night there. And the next day, I had a seven-hour discipleship training that I spoke the entire time to 40 people. And, uh, and I said, I need the Holy Spirit, and I need some Red Bull. And honestly, all right, I drank two Red Bulls. I delivered the entire training. At about 3 p.m., I crashed hard. But you know what? The training went well um, from external experience, uh, appearance. I had a successful day. Uh, I was kind of the ministry version of an old-school athlete. Like, if you get hurt, rub some dirt on it, get back in there. It's like, give me some cold brew, I'll get back in there. 
And people would always comment on my ability to get by on less. John Dennert uh, once told me, he said, I think you have a way different capacity than most people, man. He's like, I'm here. You're like, here. And I think he had good reason to believe that because that's how I presented and showed up in spaces. Um, but the reality was it wasn't really working for me. Uh, in the fall of 2019, I was involved in a conflict with my family of origin, uh, not a believing family of origin. We had a lot of stuff like anybody. Um, and it made me question if our family mattered to like anyone. Really hurtful stuff was said. In February of 2020, something happened to someone in our church, and I was there as it was kind of unraveling. And as a pastor, sometimes you're with people in like the worst moments of their life. And this was definitely one of those. And it was so, so sad. In March of 2020, I went on a 12-day international trip to minister to church planners in Turkey and to scout out India as a space for gospel partnerships. In March of 2020, uh, someone in our family had a serious uh, health, mental health diagnosis. Uh, COVID hits. And then Mother's Day two years ago was Mother's Day. We're having a great day as a family. We had an amazing breakfast. Uh, the kids uh, arranged a scavenger hunt for Jackie. We spent time at the dinner table. Uh, we were doing, like, cheers to Jackie. Jackie and I had some wine. The kids had, uh, uh, whatever, Martinelli's. And, uh, and they're, you know, they had the champagne flutes, and they're, they're saying what they love about their mom. And I just remember sitting at the table feeling grateful, thinking we never had anything like this when I was growing up. And I felt like it was a beautiful day. So that's why I was shocked when out of nowhere – about a little while later, I felt this pain in my chest right after the kids went to bed. And you think kids go to bed, we can chill. Uh, and it was like they went to bed and then I just felt this pain in my chest and I, I felt, and it wasn't like, uh, it was a pain I never felt before. It wasn't like when you've like bench press and you're sore the next day. It was like this tightening and um, my arm started to go numb and Jackie looked it up and she's like, you dude, you might be having a heart attack. Um, and so uh, Jimmy Clark came over, he picked me up, he drove me to the ER. And so he kind of did the whole thing, EKG x-ray all that stuff and um and pretty quickly i got back and the doctor just basically said hey listen you did not have a heart attack um but you probably had a severe anxiety attack and i just wanted to laugh i was like anxiety i'm an enneagram seven <laughs> i don't worry a thing about a thing i don't get anxious and he said uh, he said what were you doing and i said oh, i was like hanging out with my wife drinking wine like it was great like i he said uh Maybe an hour or two before was anything that happened. And I remembered, I thought of my family of origin, how conflicted I felt about how to communicate on Mother's Day and with some stuff that we had going on. I felt stuck and afraid for the future. And I kind of just kept it moving, playing with the kids. Um, Calvin's good to pull you out of that uh, just to talk. Uh, he always wants to talk if you guys know him. And so the next day I talked to a counselor and he said, Andy, um, off of what you've told me, he said, you're like an iPhone, an iPhone that's in trouble, okay? Uh, he said, you have this big download going on You've got a family of origin situation you have to figure out. Uh, you've got a health diagnosis on your family. You have, um, by the way, you have too many apps running. Uh, you're helping lead not one but two family of churches. Uh, your own church, you're leading your own church during a pandemic. Uh, you're leading your family. Uh, and he said COVID is like bad service, uh, especially for an extroverted person. So this download's even harder to get to. Uh, and he said, your battery's running low because you've been so close to energy-depleting traumatic situations as a pastor. And because of your pacing, you didn't slow down to deal with that stuff and grieve it and process it. And so you're just, you keep going. And he said, Andy, if you keep going, it's going to get real bad for you. He actually had a, um, he had a, uh, he did his um, dissertation on uh, clergy burnout. It was like his topic. And he has a six-stage scale he kind of created. And long story short, uh, when you get to five or six, 
you don't really come back. Like your mental faculties are affected. Like you've used drugs uh, when you when you're so burned out. And so uh, he said, you're at like a three man, but you are trending towards five. You're not trending towards one. And so I had to make some big, big changes. Now, what I want you to catch is, is that I was overcommitted. I was underrested and I had little margin to work through hard things if they came my way, like a conflict I didn't see coming with people that are important to me. I was so committing to getting so much done so quickly that I wasn't living within my limits as a human. I was worn down from everything I was doing. And because I was worn down, I didn't have time to look at parts of my heart and life that needed attention. And here's the thing, man, I had goals. Yeah, some of you guys were here. We're planting 10 churches in 10 years. That was our goal. All right. And I thought it was great. And, uh, and, um, you know, it's kind of the 50 cent of church planning, right? Like plant churches or die trying. Like I was in it, man. I was about it. Now your goals might not be to plant churches, but you might have goals. You might have financial goals, right? I have to have this net worth by this date, or you might have career goals. I want to be respected in my field or in this role by this date. You might even have spiritual goals. Like I need to do this much with church, whatever it is. And we have these things that can be good, but they become bad when the cost on our soul or the souls of those we love is too high. We have these internal goals, and on top of that, society is throwing expectations at us all the time. We have advertisers telling us we need to buy stuff we don't have, and then we're stressed out because then maybe we end up with, in, in debt. We're overwhelmed with decision fatigue. You try to watch a show on Netflix lately? It's like, dude, how sad. The state of our society that there's like a surprise me. Like, you're that bored, your life is that small, you're that invested in these shows, where you're like, I don't even know, man. Constant activity. I mean, we're, con- I mean, again, just constantly, you know, you, your kids start to play sports. Clive started to play sports. He was on the AU team for a while with basketball. And it was like, dude, you got to go to this, and then this camp, and then this camp, and then this camp, work with this trainer. And it's like, and, or they're not going to make it in life at all. It's like, well, you know. <laughs> It's like, if you jump on this travel team, like, he will be LeBron James. If he doesn't, he's going to hate you as a father. <laughs> right? If you don't get your kid into the right kindergarten, they're not going to get into Yale, whatever, man. This is all this stuff going on. And here's the thing. Um, and so you do way more than you can do. Your, your emotions are maxed out. Your finances are maxed out. Your schedule is maxed out. And then we're wondering why we're just, the mental health stuff's going on the way that it is and why everything spiritually feels so hard. But here's the thing, you can live, uh, living a life where you're salt and light, it is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, in high school, you guys probably know this, I ran track, you knew that. You've seen me, you've seen my body, seen my physique, you know what I'm up to. And uh, a race that I ran one year, uh, I mostly just want to hang out with my friends. Um, the race uh, that was most grueling, pretty much everyone agreed, was the 800 meter, uh, you guys know what the 800 meter is? It's two laps. Uh, and so here's the thing about it is with the 800, you're running much faster than you are in other distance races, like the 3200 or the 1600, but you're running much further than the long, you're running twice the longest sprint event, which is the 400 meters. And so it's, it's a combination of speed and stamina. And often you would watch this race at track meets and there's usually someone, a sprinter usually getting used to distance races and uh, they come out flying. I mean, just dusting everyone else who's running. And so for the first half of the race, usually the first lap, they have a huge lead. And then as the second lap starts, often this person starts to slow way down. And the more experienced, properly trained runners, they're just getting started. 
and they and you get lapped. And oftentimes that person who started out the gates quick, they're they're getting passed up by three to four runners, sometimes by every other competitor in the race besides them that they were beating. And the idea here is that it isn't how we start the race that matters, it's how we finish the race that matters. We need to run the race, but we also need to finish. Okay? Um, in the last chapter of the last letter that we have that was written by the Apostle Paul as he was awaiting his execution, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he writes this. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who loved his appearing. There, I don't know if you guys have tracked this much. There's a lot of sad stuff out there about the state of the American evangelical church. You hear about this stuff all the time. Some of it's true, some of it's overhyped. Um, but I'll tell you what's absolutely true, and it might be the worst thing about the whole thing because it impacts the rest of it. And it's the lie that the ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. So, for example, you can have a church staff where you work your staff almost to death and they neglect their families. They're ministry people. They're neglecting their families. And we're saying, but people are getting saved, man. Um, it's uh, not creating space for people to be spiritually and relationally healthy because we just have to keep growing and growing and growing and growing. I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, Jesus only had 72 real followers during his earthly ministry. 72. Our church is bigger today. And I often live with this sense that I'm failing because we're not big. Does that make sense? Even though Jesus <laughs> thought it was a fine number, 72. Um, and, and so oftentimes there's this sense, you know, um, man, the end. And by the way, America's this way too. If the pay raise is enough, you take the job, even if you're going to have to work 20 more hours a week and neglect your family. If the promotion makes you feel important enough, you will move and pull yourself out of a solid, stable space, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, because you you get to be important in your career. We make that the number one thing. And, um, and oftentimes, it leads to, like, so many problems. Again, this idea of salt and light, you lose ground. Like, you gain ground, and then you lose it. So people become Christians, and then they fall away from the faith because we call people to do something that Jesus didn't call them to do. We burden them with things Jesus hasn't called them to um, live with. And so today, the question I want to answer today is looking at Paul's idea here. He's talking about being poured out, and he's talking about finishing. And so today, the question I want to answer is, how can we devote ourselves to Jesus and his purposes, like Paul describes here, without burning out? How do you do that? How do you live as salt and light? Like, how do you impact people who don't know Jesus with the gospel consistently and faithfully and still parent your kids or work your job? or eat healthy, or, or whatever it is. And so I want to talk about a couple of things we're called to. Um, first, we're called to lives of sacrifice and intentionality. Um, second, we're called to lives of sustainability and longevity. And third, we're called to lives of grace and peace. Grace and peace. Now again, we live in a culture that's kind of obsessed with self-care outside of the church. Uh, unless it's your career, then you sacrifice everything for it, and then you'll, you'll, you're right, you'll, you'll rest later when you retire or are dead. 
But by and large, it's uh, and so when I say things like, uh, man, we got to slow down. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Some of us go, cool. I didn't want to run anyways. Here's the thing about marathons. What they have in common with sprints is they both require you to run. There isn't a marathon that you just kick it, eat breakfast burritos, and sleep. Okay, that's not running a marathon. We are called to run. Um, just because the pace needs to be sustainable does not mean it's not a sacrifice or it's not challenging. Ask people who run marathons. They have a pace, but also it was work, or so, so, or so I can imagine. So living a salt and light should cost you something. Don't hear, if I'm a disciple, it should be easy. No. It's, it's you're pouring yourself out like Paul describes. But to pour yourself out, you have to have something inside of you to pour. If you pour it all out and you never replenish it, you've got nothing but like an awkward empty bottle, which is a lot of our evangelism. My life sucks. You should become a Christian. I'm sad, irritable. I've been pressured into this. Just shut up. Just come to Alpha, man. What? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said shut up. You know, it's like, like we're, you know what I'm saying. We have to have something to pour out. The gospel's got to be doing stuff in us, not just through us. This is that ends and means thing. It's like some of us believe the gospel is just to go through us. It's not for us. The gospel's for you as much as it is for the person you're going to share it with. So, so it's sacrifice. It's also intentionality. Intentionality. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. This is really important. A lot of us, if someone has a need, we're like, that's me. I'll meet the need, right? John used to have this joke. He was like, some people with unmet needs, he's like, uh, it's like, a bad, it's like a, bad blind, <laughs> a bad blind date. He's like, there's unmet need, sounds like a love connection. Um, and so for some of us, man, we, we just, we're like, man, uh, any opportunity. And by the way, meet, meeting needs to help people. A lot of times, too, at work, like if there's a project, I'm on it. There's an opening on a project that the boss is going to see, I'll do it. Have I considered the impact on me or those I love most? No. Get to that later. There's a chance to shine in your field. I'll do that, right? If there's something I want to buy, I'm going to buy it, whatever it is. We, we're not, we're unwise. We're not wise. We don't consider the impacts before we say yes so often. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. There's an intentionality. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Sometimes, family, it takes time to understand what the Lord's will is. Anytime someone comes to me, they're like, God called me to do this today, and it's a big thing. I go, maybe. It also aligns with all the, your idols I know you have historically, and I know you hate someone so at your job, so it sounds like, you know, whatever. Guys, it, we got to take it slow, often. We can slow it down. Yet in America and in a lot of the American church, it's like faster, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, that's not just not what Jesus did. He was intentional. Make the most of every opportunity. It doesn't say create every opportunity. And by the way, opportunity here is opportunity for the gospel. It's not just opportunity at work, period. But make the most of it. You don't have to create it. You're responding to who the Spirit is bringing your way and what he is calling you to do. We see this in the life of Jesus very clearly. He seeks God's will for him and then focuses in on that as opposed to trying to do everything. There were people Jesus didn't heal while he was healing. There are people who wanted to talk to Jesus who didn't get time with Jesus. Well, he was, just think about that for a second. 
They were important people who thought Jesus should, right? Like, if you want to build a platform, they were influential people he could have wooed and grabbed, and he doesn't, like, subvert his mission to meet with them. He knows what he's called to do. Luke 6, uh, before Jesus picks the disciples, it says, During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. By the way, Judas, son of James, got to be rough. Like, ah, oh, did you hear about Judas? He's like, guys, it was the other one. It was Iscariot. So what, what you see with Jesus here is he, uh, to live a life of intentionality, uh, he, he lives a life of intentionality by developing these people, and then he dies a sacrificial death for them. Um, he doesn't call everyone to himself. Could any 12 humans gain something from being discipled by Jesus personally? What do you guys think? Yeah. He doesn't pick all humanity to come to him in that moment. The fa- he's got a couple, and, and he's faithful to them. So I don't want you to catch. Again, if it was us, we, we would have did, did it different, man. Like, I think I would just had angels do a PR campaign to show up at everyone's house. Like, yo, I'm an angel. You're an angel. Believe in Jesus. Roll. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go, man, let's get, let's get on the Romans road. Let's get a, you know, a deal, sponsorship deal, with Roman military. Everywhere they go and conquer, they'll bring the gospel with them. The Roman Empire would try to use the gospel for that later. Uh, so what other uh, evil, idolatrous empires. However, uh, he starts small. Oftentimes in the kingdom, stuff starts smaller and it's slower than you expect it to be. He invests in these 12 men, only 11 last, and we're here today. That was his method. It was slow and steady. So often, um, when I'm asked to coach church planners, they're just trying to get the biggest crowd they can get. And I go, how are you going to disciple those people? Like, I don't know. Like, okay. And they go, what if it's a move of God, though, and there's just like hundreds of people at our church day one? I go, well, it's probably not a move of God if you spend $60,000 on marketing. Does that make sense? Uh, There's a church in Denver who raffled off a Harley every week for four weeks. Great use of money. Right? That's not a move of God. That's you trying to manipulate, just trying to get people there by any means possible because you want to feel like you got a bunch of people. But Jesus goes, man, just worry about the people you have. Over time, they will reach the world. Which leads me to my second point, and we also see Jesus do this in Luke 6, is sustainability and longevity sustainability and longevity. So we are called to sacrifice, but we can sacrifice so much that we've got nothing left. We're called to live sustainably sacrificial lives, sustainability and longevity. The first thing is sustainability. Um, I find that we often get ourselves into trouble when we're living unsustainable lives, which I experienced. Uh, Jesus didn't disciple everyone in the world. Again, he only discipled these 12. Um, Now, here's what I want you to know is how do we know if we're living unsustainable lives? How do we know if we're living unsustainable lives? Um, we have quite a few um, successful entrepreneurs in this church, and I've spoken into their lives and the lives of other people like them over the years, and often one of the things that we'll talk about is, um, when am I too busy? What's sinfully too busy? It's kind of like a middle school, like how far is too far conversation. It's like how much work is too much work, right? Like how successful can I be? And my thing is, it's not about success or the amount of money you make that makes it sinful. It's what trade-offs do you make to get it? What does it require of you? 
And so um, God, um, if you're living an unsustainable life, you might believe that God's asking you to extinguish the work he wants to do in you so we can do work through you. That's when it's, 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 it's too much. Um, I don't think you guys know much about um, this organization called World Vision, famous organization. Uh, they've, they've clothed and fed just millions and millions and millions of people. I've done a lot of good work around the world, um, but it was started by a guy. Um, I forget his name. I think it's Jack Pierce. I can find that out for you if you want. Um, but essentially, this guy is famous for starting two huge uh, missionary groups and two huge like service agencies. And, um, and he had kids. Uh, he had two daughters, and, uh, and he had a wife. And he would travel 10 months out of the year without them for about 30 years. And he says, uh, I made a deal with God. And I said, and I made a deal with God. And I told God, if you take care of my little lambs at home, I'll take care of your little lambs around the world. And so again, ends justify the means. Um, one of his daughters ended up committing suicide. Um, one of them almost walked away from her faith. I uh, wrote a book. Uh, marriage was in shambles. Uh, Jesus never called him to do that. I'm not saying he didn't call him to get something started, but to do 10 months a year hurt his family, sin against his family to accomplish his purposes. Guys, I promise you that's not it. God won't ask you to do something harmful to your relational and spiritual health to accomplish his mission. Right? I think sometimes we lie to ourselves. Man, if I had this really important job at work or in government or whatever it is, then I'd have an in, I could be an influencer for the gospel, and here's what I'm going to have to do to get there, and I'm not going to be a Christian for five years. And then I'll share the gospel when I get there. Again, Jesus modeled a finiteness while he was on this earth. He only discipled 12 people. Uh, he started small. By the way, they weren't, they weren't 12 impressive people. They were 12 people who had a lot of work needed. This was not a, this was like a, a you have to, uh, assembly is required, right? They didn't come ready to go. They required a lot of input and investment from Jesus, like all of us do when we start this thing. They were sinful and insecure and angry and lustful and greedy and proud and so many things. And Jesus patiently, lovingly gives himself to a few. And over time, amazing stuff happens. So another thing, how busy is too busy? If you have to force stuff, you have to, to, to force stuff financially, doing something you actually, you know you can't afford, you're going into debt to pull it off, significant debt. You, you're, um, you're neglecting your family. You don't have time to spend with God and your schedule. You're sinfully too busy, even if it's sharing the gospel with people. It's, and it's not just sustainability, it's, it's longevity. Um, I, I know I mentioned Jackie's grandfather with 61 years yesterday. Um, man, there are a lot of people who stay in one church for 30, 40 years. I'm just finding this out, and it's blowing my mind, and it's so beautiful because we have so many stories of guys who are like that uh, first lap, 800-meter guy, like big church, starting, I'm cool, I'm sexy, I'm funny, I'm smart, our church is big, and then they're gone in seven years, six years. But there's actually quite a few people. You never heard of them because they didn't try to make their church big, and they don't do press releases, and they faithfully have shepherded people for, 10, or for like 20, 30, 40 years. It's a guy, um, he no longer pastors. His name uh, is Gary Bowman, and he led a church down in South Bay called Paseo del Rey Church. And he's in his uh, late 60s now. He now spends half of his time, six months a year, uh, him and his wife go and uh, mentor and train pastors theologically in uh, the heart of Africa, uh, where there's not enough theological education to go around. 
And he does that. Uh, he handed over his church. But before that, I remember sitting with him. He had been leading the church for about 38 years. He said, I've had so many babies I've dedicated that I got to do their baptisms and then I got to do their wedding ceremonies. And he said, it was the privilege of my life. Our church was never bigger than 170. Um, they sent out multiple church planners, multiple missionaries. Um, his marriage is genuinely seems good. Like they, they really vibe. Uh, he's older. There's no moral failure. There's no drama. It's just beautiful. And we ignore it. But guys, that's success. It's success. It really is. Uh, I, I, um, one time I was in South Africa, and I was at a church that was pretty much made up entirely of AIDS orphans. They invited me to come preach, and I get there, and there's like eight adults in the room. Uh, there's a couple women who have brought them, who are like guardians for them, and, uh, and then there's a couple men in the back, and they're all cab drivers who have driven them in. And so I, I'm prepared to preach with a translator. They're all four to 11. Like, I'm like, How's this going to work? And I literally was like, all right, Jackie, send me the Jesus Storybook Bible. I'm going to do Luke 15. I'm going to read it very slowly. Uh, and, and they'll translate. And it was a cool day. Someone got healed. There's all this stuff. But I just remember talking to the couple that were leading the church after we had lunch with them. And they're, on, they're in like the country in an impoverished rural area in South Africa. I said, hey, uh, Tom said, hey, man, do you have any like elders, like any potential eldership couples or any? And he said, you know, um, I think my next elders are like probably 12 years old playing soccer right now out in the fields. Um, it's going to take time. It's not going to be a tomorrow thing. Um, the kingdom requires that kind of longevity and it's worth it. Sh the sh guys, don't take shortcuts is the idea. Take care of yourself so that you can last. So real quick, um, just practically, um, like it's okay to have a couple nights a week where you're just blessing and loving your family or the people you live with. Okay. Um, if you're a parent and you're here, your number one disciples are your kids. Okay. I don't want you spending two nights a week, killing yourself, getting cocktails with people to get them to alpha and then going to alpha and you're out three to four nights a week and you're doing all this stuff and you're not ministering to your kids. That's a trade-off we don't want. Okay. Now, for those of you who are able to do that, awesome. But you have to think that stuff through. Um, same thing with your work um, or opportunities that come your way. What will it require of your soul to actually take that in consideration before you do that? Which leads to my last point. Um, we're called to live lives of grace and peace. Grace and peace. In John chapter 5, verse 19 Jesus, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. I think this should be a memory verse for everyone here. You want to move at, at a grace pace. A grace pace is, um, I have a father. He knows that I'm human. He knows my gifts. He knows my strengths. He knows my limitations. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my budget. He knows my schedule. He knows my job. And he, in love, never asks me to be more than human. He says, can you do these things for me, bud? Hey, sweetie, can you do these things for me? Will you do these things with me? And there's only a couple of them at a time. I'm not going to overwhelm you. I'm not the enemy. I'm not here to condemn you and stress you out and burn you out and make you feel like you're letting everyone down all the time. That's not my, what I'm into. I'm into blessing the world through you. 
because mission being salt and light, really, it's like, it's like kingdom, take your kids to work day. If you guys ever did that as a kid or if you ever, t- like, the, the kids are useless. Not you, Clive. You're old enough now, dude. You're doing stuff. So. You're making egg sandwiches. Right? But mostly, like, they're, like, stapling stuff. Not even great. It's not lined up. Like, they're not getting the deal. They're not getting the contract finalized. They're not the end-all, be-all at the end of negotiations. But they get to help out a little bit. And honestly, guys, our part is so much smaller than we think. We burn out because we think our part's bigger than it is. I need to solve injustice and evangelism and the church and my career and my, it's like, ah, maybe two of those for this year. Just, just focus in. Not every issue is yours. Not every person is yours. There's a lot of injustice in the world when Jesus walked this world. He didn't deal with all of it all the time. He never talks about the Roman oppression as a problem, for example, which is wild. But everywhere he goes, he brings love and truth and beauty and goodness and justice everywhere he goes personally. And so if you're living at a grace pace, you're just doing what God calls you to do lovingly. This means you're not driven by achievement, trying to prove yourself. It means you're not driven by legalism, trying to earn God's love. It means you're not driven by the acceptance of man. Like if I just get enough people to, if I do enough stuff for enough people, maybe they'll like me. It's not driven by control, only I can do it. It's driven by love and obedience to the Father. Hey, Dad, what do you want me to do? That's what we're doing. And I promise you, if you just do that, you won't burn out. But you also, you'll do some amazing stuff with your life. I want to read real quick uh, from Matthew um, chapter 11. Jesus, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. By the way, come to me. In Greek, it's an ongoing imperative. Keep coming to me. This isn't just a, a verse to tack on at the end of evangelistic sermon. This is for you. And I know some of you are tired. Come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a grace and a peace to living this kind of life. There's rest for our souls. Like we're working from rest. We're working from identity. We're working from security. We're working from significance, not for significance. Working from identity, not for achievement. Working from security, not for money. And as we do that, everything else sorts itself out. We see this all throughout the scriptures. So I just want to pray over us that we believe this and then move into communion. Father, as a church, uh, I think often we have had uh, two extremes of people. We've had people who have not done enough and people who have done way too much and um and lord we we we, we want to find that grace pace we want to find that sustainable but meaningful life there's lives that are plenty sustainable but they are not meaningful and their lives full of meaning but um wrapped in burnout anxiety and exhaustion. Father, I pray that we'd be a church. And even if that means, I mean, I know we're even talking about Alpha. Maybe Alpha just does have one person. 
I don't want that. <laughs> but Lord, would you, um, would you help us to do what you're doing? So like, for example, someone's calling, if, if you're calling us to invite someone to Alpha, would we do it? Would you have the courage to do it? But, but if you're not, would we not? God, would we, would we um, jump in and care about the things you care about, but, but would we do it in such a way that it doesn't um, swallow us up? Would we take our work seriously and do good uh, at our jobs and in our parenting, uh, but would we not do such a good job that we neglect the family of God, the church, or the, the things of God, his mission, his people? Would we, would we care about evangelism, but would we not um, spend so much time evangelizing people that we don't care for the people that we're called to disciple? Our brothers and sisters in Christ, our spouses, our kids, our roommates. Would you fill us up so that we, we are ministering from overflow? The margin I didn't have two years ago. Would this be a church that has that kind of margin? When hard things come, we've got grace stored up for the moment. We're prepared for the moment. So God, I pray for wisdom. I pray for preparation. I pray for clarity. So much in me that wants to make this church what I want it to be, and I want to like, let's get pro, you know, whatever. And it's just, we can only go as fast as the limitations of the men and women in this room for them to be healthy. And so Lord, would you show us uh, how to do that well in this next season? Would we not be salt that's, that's useless, that gets trampled? Um, would we be people who grow vibrant relationships with Jesus and we minister out of that? Thank you, Jesus, that you modeled the life that we don't live naturally. You lived a life of purpose and sacrifice, of sustainability and longevity, of grace and peace. You poured out everything but you did it when the time was right. And so, Lord, um, as we go to communion, I pray, God, communion reminds us we can't do it on our own. Communi communion reminds us we don't need to be bigger than we are. Communion reminds us we are humans, and humans get hurt, and they suffer, and they sin, and they hurt others, and we are weak and needy apart from you. Again, we were so bad, you had to die for us, Jesus, but you love us so much, you were glad to die for us. And so, God, would we simultaneously accept our limitations in light of the cross, and would we also be motivated to go do more in light of the cross, the right amount for us? In Jesus' name, amen.